Welcome to the MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Conference podcast presented by ESPN and 42 Analytics. This is Jessica Gelman, who along with Daryl Morey co-founded and chair the conference with a fantastic group of MIT Sloan students each year. Thanks for listening and enjoy. Welcome to OK Zoomer: how data can win back <coughs> Z. My name is Riley Foreman, and I am a second year MBA at MIT Sloan School of Management. It's my honor to have our guests and moderator here today. I'll do some short introductions and then kick it over to our moderator. Let's start with Bo Han, founder of Buzzer, Omar Raja, commentator for ESPN, Ooh. Tim Clark, SVP and Chief Digital Officer of NASCAR, and TJ Adeshola, Head of US Sports for Twitter. This panel will run for approximately 45 minutes with 10 minutes reserved at the end for audience questions. Please submit those questions to Twitter using the hashtag WinningBackGenZ. And with that, I'll let everyone get started. Riley, thank you for the introduction. Thank each and every one of you all for being here. I want to give you a heads up. This panel will have the best kicks out of any panel <laughs> at this conference Facts. or any panel you've ever 100% been to. 100% true. This is a heads up. So appreciate the sneaker greatness on stage. So um, I want to start with this, this quote that I read. And it says, if you don't have a fan by the age of 18, you're just never going to get them. So because I work at Twitter, I've got to start with the hashtag. If you were to describe the Gen Z audience with a single hashtag, what would it be? We'll start with you, Tim. Uh, hashtag distracted. Mm. Um, and, and I don't even mean that in a negative way. There's just a lot. Um, you know, there's a lot of content. There's a lot of experiences. There's a lot of opportunity. Um, and I think that, that makes it incumbent on brands like ours to cut through that and, and you know, present, present our sport or present our company in a unique way. Omar, what you got? Hashtag innovative. I mm. think um, they don't have a status quo. All the platforms that they're on on a daily basis are pretty new. And so I think that makes them be even more creative than the generations before. When I grew up watching TV, TV had been around for years and years and years, and I knew what a sports show looked like. It was pretty much recaps and, and all that stuff. Um, and when you look at like apps like TikTok or Twitter and you see the creativity on those platforms, um, I think it's just incredible. I'm going to serve it back to you. Hashtag social. Um, sports is a social product. It's a community product. Um, when you're watching an exciting game, more likely than not, you're going to tell someone about it, right? You're in that group chat. You're tweeting about it. Um, you're posting about it on Snapchat or even reaction cams on TikTok, as Omar mentioned, right? And so how do we feed into the social nature of what sports actually is and make it easier for you to share these moments? Great stuff. So we'll start with you, Omar. You've, you've quite honestly revolutionized the way people consume sports. You founded House of Highlights. You've bottled up that, that formula and taken it to ESPN. I've seen you be in mid-conversation with people, dart to a spot on the court, and capture an incredible moment. Right. How do you know what that thing is? What is that formula? What's that special sauce? It, honestly, it, it takes years. Mm -hmm. I, I think one thing that's good to know is you know, I've, I've now built a TikTok audience that has about three million followers uh, on, on my person, uh, as, as my own personality. And I have been working in, spor in sports media for five years. I've been working on digital content for about 10 years. And when I made my TikTok account, I was awful for about six months. Like my group chats were destroying me. I was, I was losing confidence. I was like, maybe I'm not even who I think I am. It, yeah. was, it was so bad. And I think it, it just comes with time. I think people are so scared to experiment. 
I think that's one thing that I was always great at is I'll take the risk mm. and I'll, 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 I'll take the embarrassment in the group chat for that week or that weekend. Um, but I think that's where it starts is, you know, experiment as much as possible and then look at analytics. Hey, this works, this doesn't work. I, don't, I think that's the two things that people don't um, see as much as like, all right, is this gaining me audience? Is this gaining me new followers? Are people sharing this with their friends? I think those are some of the keys. How quickly upon posting to whatever pl uh, platform it is, do you know, okay, I got one. TikTok, you know within about two hours. Twitter, you know within minutes, mm -hmm. <laughs> depending on those quote tweets, the retweets <laughs> ratio. Uh, and then Instagram, I would say about 20 minutes. You, you can just, you kind of know what the likes are supposed to look like, what are the comments supposed to look like, what are the shares supposed to look like. Um, and, and yeah, I think those are the, the, the it depends on the, on the platform. Um, Bo, so you've created Buzzer uh, in the past two years, it's quickly become one of the, the darlings of sports media. Why is Buzzer tailor-made for Gen Z sports fans? All right, so just to disclaim, TJ and I used to work with one another. Um, we actually started at Twitter together on, we met on the first day. Um, I don't know why you buried the lead. <laughs> I'm, they call us the, the rush hour crew. Um, I'm Chris Tucker because I'm obviously funnier. Um, <laughs> But um, you know, the inspiration around Buzzer is very simple. Uh, during my time at Twitter, when exciting moments are happening in a game, right? they're trending on Twitter. And sports is special in the sense that it triggers not only emotion, but behavior. Right? Um, think about the last time you heard about Squid Games being a great show on Netflix. Do you drop everything to rush over to Netflix? You don't. You say, OK, great, I'll watch it this weekend. But sports is something that's magical, right? When you hear about that moment where Jaws popping off and he's put, about to put up a 50 piece, you're gonna rush to the nearest TV, trying to figure out the, uh, the channel, the subscription. And by the time you figure all that out, it's over, right? And so the great thing about live sports is that not only is it exciting and magical and the most marketable moment in a game or a sports product, but it's also, it just, it's fleeting, it's ephemeral. Right? And, and so the inspiration around Buzzer is very simple, is that how do we build that last mile tech when it comes to connecting a leaned in fan with that live magical moment? And the quicker and more seamless and friction free um, we're able to do that, the better. Right? What Omar has done is really tapped into kind of creating friction free highlights and clips right after the moment has happened and created that social context around that. Right? And so, um, not just because Omar is my friend, but I like to call Gen Z the house of highlights generation, mm -hmm. right? I'm gassing you up a little bit. So, um, <laughs> it, because, you know, it, Gen Z is all about now, immediacy, convenience, right? Access, right? And so um, we at Buzzer focus on three things, speed, simplicity, and a fan-centric experience, right? And so how do we get you that moment as quickly as possible how do we make that as simple as possible? And also, how do we make that as fan-centric as possible, right? And so if we don't have the content on Buzzer, we'll tell you, to go, uh, go, uh, we'll tell you where to go get it, right? And so um, you know, it's been very exciting to, uh, to build the product. I have an amazing team of 65 folks, um, purely born out of the pandemic, so we're all bo uh, based out of 33 different cities, 18 different states. Um, but it's been an amazing learning experience so far. Real quick follow-up, why the name Buzzer? Um, it's quite literal, right, at the buzzer. And, you know, we, we want to be that 
live short form moment that's optimized for mobile, right? Um, you know, when you're looking at just Gen Z consumption behavior, you know, over 50% of Gen Z spend five hours or more on mobile. 25% spend 10 hours or more on mobile, right? And to address what Tim just talked about, about distraction, it's not because it's a short attention span. There's just so much content out there, so crowded. You know, and, and so how do we create a curation and discovery tool for these live moments, right? And, and so how do we simplify that, right? And because, you know, all y'all are spending, you know, yeah, 15 second clips on TikTok, but spending 10 hours a day on it, right? And so how do we create those TikTok-like short form live moments that you can just tap into and then go on with your life? So Tim, you hear about these new guys doing all this new stuff. You have the luxury of working on a property that's legacy but over the past year or two, you all have really, really started to lean in intentionally and make progress within that 18 and 23 audience. Um, walk us through how you've been able to do that and whether you'll be able to sustain that success. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting, right? You work on a brand that's 74 years old and that brings a lot of benefit and a lot of kind of existing infrastructure, but it also brings a lot of um, you know, a, a reaction, right? I've never picked up the phone or met someone and introduced myself and I worked, said I worked at NASCAR and they were like, I don't know what that is. <laughs> right, right. But that reaction might be like, uh, uh. <laughs> um, now, I, I think what, what kind of evolved with us over the last couple of years is honestly, we just got more comfortable with the idea of fandom on the fan terms mm -hmm. as opposed to our terms. You know, I think for, for years, if not decades, we were really selfish in terms of like, well, if you want to appreciate the sport, you need to sit here and watch these cars go in a circle for four hours. And, and I think we just got a little bit more comfortable over time, and certainly that accelerated the last few years to say, look, if your appreciation of the sport is watching one of our drivers lip sync a Celine Dion clip on mm -hmm. Media Day, so be it. And, you know, Omar and I were talking about this. We've had, you know, streamers or influencers come out to the, to the, to the track that is completely arm's length from what's happening on the track or the race product. And I think the idea of that is, how do you use these platforms? How do you use these communication vessels to, to engage with fans on their terms and get them just close enough, just adjacent enough to the sport that maybe they're interested in sampling it or appreciating it? I, I think that's a much, a much more honest relationship with our fans and our mm -hmm. consumers as opposed to kind of forcing them to, to appreciate it from our perspective. So from my vantage point, um, seeing NASCAR's successes on Twitter, particularly over the past 12 to 24 months, the thing that excites me the most is the face of the fan is changing considerably. Um, how have you all been able to kind of continue to, to change the, the face of the fan that has followed this property for 70 plus years? Yeah, I think, you know, first of all, was, was us kind of saying out loud that we were inclusive. You know, it's, it's okay to, to maybe think that and to, to have those conversations internally, but, but we needed to put a stake in the ground and say to both existing fans and, and new fans that we are inclusive and this is a sport for everyone. And, you know, as, as easy as that sounds, I, I think for, for years and years, we just never said that out loud. We were like, well, I assume everyone knows that, right? And, and it, it wasn't. Well, how, how inclusive do you feel when you've got people waving Confederate flags around? So, you know, you take some very, uh, very obvious steps, I guess, to, to make the sport feel inclusive. And then from a representation standpoint, you know, the, the amount of 
pressure that someone like Bubba Wallace carries on his shoulders to try to help move an entire sport forward. Mm -hmm. um, I think from a representation standpoint, not only for fandom, but for participation. I mean, hopefully, I think you know, the fan base looks much better or much different than it did a year ago, two years ago, three years ago. I hope what follows suit is is the driver core, mm -hmm. right? Because then I think we can continue to tell a different story and, and you know, um, I, it, it takes time. It's not gonna get fixed overnight. And, and I think we're thrilled with how the last 18, 24 months uh, have gone, but we have a lot of work to do. Um, so we'll start with Omar. I've seen you at NHL events, NBA events, and every sporting event under the sun you've been to. Who's doing it right? Who's um, leaning into this Gen Z sports fan in ways that others can learn from? You know what? The answer is going to surprise you. Mm -hmm. Probably Jake Paul with his boxing wow. uh, events. And I think what they do is they, they go with this social approach. Right, so one of their fights is gonna have, you know, with Logan and Floyd, they had Chad Johnson fighting. Mm -hmm. He doesn't need to be in a boxing match, <laughs> but they knew it would do well on social. Uh, with Jake in his last fight in December, he had Darren Williams versus Frank Gore. Like, they're not real boxers, but I will 100% check it out. And I think it's such social, you know, people are gonna watch, you know, people are gonna share the clips, mm -hmm. um, and you know, people are gonna talk about it, you know, that next Monday, and it'll be everywhere. It'll be from ESPN mm -hmm. to a YouTuber reacting to it. So I think they have really figured out this model of making Gen Z fans um, care about sports. You know, I've been to a lot of boxing events, um, and I can say when I went to the Jake Paul fight, I've never seen younger fans in my life. Wow. Like, usually when you go to like Vegas and you go to these, you know, Tyson Fury versus Deontay Wilder, it's an older fan. Mm -hmm. and, and when I, I could, the amount of 10 year olds I saw at the Jake Paul fight was, you know, insane to me. So I think they've really figured it out. That's a really great and surprising yeah. answer. Bo, Tim, what you got? I gotta say the NBA, mm -hmm. right? Um, NBA was one of our early partners, um, but you gotta go give the credit where credit is due. Adam Silver was very progressive about how he thought about media rights, right? Um, the reality of live sports that it's played on television, right? You're approaching late 40s, early 50s as the average demographic that watches a live show or a live game. And when we can all agree that the most important asset in the sports industry is live sports rights, right? The past two years, when we had no sports, when, when the global pandemic happened, when there's no live sports, what is the one thing that retained value? Live media rights, right? And so when you're thinking about the sustainability, the long-term sustainability of these media rights, you have to think about how are you engaging with the next generation live? You know, Omar has done a phenomenal job in terms of engaging with that next generation in highlights and clips. But how are we getting them to consume live content? Because that is the heartbeat of this entire industry, right? And so um, what Commissioner Silver got very early is that these smaller little skews, right, the 10-minute look-ins or the quarter look-ins, is something that is incremental to someone who watches an average NBA game for 40 minutes, right? And so the thought process around buzzer is can we get the next generation to watch four minutes of each game, but 10 games, right? And at the end of the day, that's 40 minutes as, as well, right? And, and so um, I, I think that Commissioner Silver has been very um, progressive about how he looks at future media rights um, and how it's structured. Um, you know, of course, 
uh, the late David uh, you know, Stern, you know, really international and globalized the sport. Uh, but I really do think Commissioner Silver is thinking about how do we engage with the next generation in a mobile first way, and most importantly, live. Tim, you all have had some amazing recent successes outside of NASCAR. Uh, are there folks in the space that you say, hey, that's pretty cool. We can learn from that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's, within sports, on the outside looking in, I think there's a tendency to think that there's competition amongst mm. leagues. And, and I, I guess that's true in, on paper, right? But, but as you know, and everybody up here knows, there's much more participation and, and um, you know, I, I think everyone admires what the others are doing and, and has fought the same battle, so can appreciate that to a certain extent. I think NBA is, is incredible. The one that, that you know, we have looked at a lot, specifically over the last two years, is F1. Mm -hmm. um, you know, their, their social game and the way that they're tying, like, you know, again, back to the, the notion of, of fandom on the fan terms, you know, they've just made this sport look sexy, right? I mean, it's cool as hell, like when you, you watch the Drive to Survive show and then how they tie that back to, you know, you're, you're racing these incredible multi-million dollar cars through the streets of Monaco, like, it's pretty cool. Yeah. So, I, I, I mean, I think we, we certainly appreciate most sports and, and, and what they're doing, but, but F1's done a really nice job as of late. Quick show of hands if anyone has either attended or watched some of an F1 race. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah, no, F1 is pretty sexy. That's yeah. a good word to use to describe it. Yeah. You gotta quickly, you you gotta quickly plug the Bubba Doc on, on Netflix. Yeah. That's right. If uh, <laughs> while you're watching NASCAR content, check out Race uh, featuring Bubba Wallace uh, on Netflix right now. Um, shout out to you all. I never would have answered that question directly just because we work with so many sports oh, partners. Yeah. Mm, shout yeah. out to, to y'all for being um, forthcoming with that. Live sports and consumption habits for years. We've talked about core cutting within the sports industry. We've talked about the data showing that people aren't watching live sports as long as they have, which is true. Um, how, have, how is the service that you're working on or that you've built um, positioned to, to, to live within that, that change and consumption habits? So we'll start with you, Tim. Yeah, I, um, I, I think one of the things that, and I, th I don't know how many of you are aware, there, there are in-car cameras and in-car kind of live audio streams in, in most of the cars in the field. And I think, I think about that like that has been around for 10, 12 years. If we announced that today, it would blow everyone's mm. mind. Like wait, you're gonna connect every single car from a video and an audio perspective. So in a lot of ways, I think that the expectation you know, to, to already have that is, is, works against us. Now, where I think that sets us up really well for the next few years is that can now be either a co-viewing experience or it could be your only viewing experience. So if I'm following Bubba Wallace through the race at Talladega and I can just keep track of his in-car camera and his in-car communication while I'm also showing live betting odds at the bottom third of that screen and then, you know, working with Bo at Buzzer when there's 10 to go and he's in second place, tune in to see what, what happens then, then I think you've, you've kind of compartmentalized the sport that is really big. I mean, for, for anyone that's ever been to a NASCAR race at somewhere like Daytona or Sonoma, it is a big sport to follow. But if you can compartmentalize that and, and put it you know, on a mobile device in, in kind of bite-sized segments, I think that's where we feel good about where the sport's headed. Do you two have a partnership in place yet? Because it sounds like it just happened. Not yet. Sounds like it just happened. We'll, we'll, we'll do the paperwork Try, backstage. We tried. We, we talked to, how long ago did we talk? So long, yeah, man. Yeah. You know, but shout out to Tim for always 
taking my call. So. <laughs> Omar, how would you answer that question? How are you super serving this change? Yeah, the- I think my thing is if you're not watching the NBA, I still want you to be connected to the sport in some mm-hmm. way. So I think one of the big things I focus on is all access. So here's what you know, LeBron or Steph Curry is like behind the scenes. Our best highlight, or not even a highlight, our best NBA post this year was actually from last week where Steph Curry just hit 10, 12, 14 shots in a row and people were mind blown. And, and think about it, that's not even like a highlight that we would have seen 10 years ago. So I think the focus for me has been behind the scenes, hey, here's what they practice, here's what they're like in the locker room. And then also, hey, here's a cool moment with LeBron and a fan where you know he signs his jersey and they can't believe it. So I want you to be connected to the NBA or NFL, you know, all of our sports that we work with, UFC, in some way. Again, I think it comes down to simplicity, right? How do we simplify an already fragmented sports rights landscape, right? So for example, if you're an Arsenal fan and you watch EPL, you need NBC Peacock. They play in the FA Cup, you need ESPN, ESPN Plus. If they're playing in Champions League, you need CBS and Paramount Plus. <laughs> that is six different subscriptions to watch one team, mm-hmm. right? So no wonder the next generation is looking at this, not to mention, you know, a lot of the content, live content that's on mobile, is simply repurposing what's on television onto your phone, right? And we don't look at a three-hour format on our phone. We behave very differently from our television and and mobile. So why is the content mirrored, right? And and so really kind of thinking through what is our sports fan interested in and how to chop it up in formats that is interesting to them, right? And so uh, one thing I, you know, many things I learned at Twitter, but one of the things is just interest-based, hyper-personalized mobile notifications. So simply put, you let us know what you're interested in and we'll let you know when those interesting moments happen. And also it happens that the type of fan has changed, right? You're less an NBA fan and a Warrior fan, you're a Steph Curry fan, mm-hmm. right? Omar talked about, you know, if you can tap into a Steph Curry fan, a Steph Curry fan will watch the pregame rituals, That's right. just every r- ritual, because it's just fascinating, right? And, and all that goes viral anyways, yep. mm-hmm. right? So how do you tap that into live, get that tune in from that next generation, and then that, you know, that goes viral anyways, right? And, and so, you know, what we really want to, you know, what we've kind of provided at Buzzer is just really understanding not only Geo and teams that you root for, but players. You know, we find more of our users follow John Morant and Steph Curry than teams, right? So what does that tell you about your new fan and how to present a very valuable asset to that fan? Similarly, on Twitter, we see if an athlete quote tweets or retweets a highlight, the engagement goes through the roof because people's affinities tend to be more closely aligned with the athlete than with with the, um, the, the organization. So to that point, if SportsCenter posts something to Twitter or Instagram, you see the players in the comments. Mm-hmm. Yeah. John Moran is routinely tweeting about things that occurred in this game. We talked about you inviting influencers and athletes to, to NASCAR uh, races, and they live tweet about their experiences as well. So the role of athletes, creators, influencers, particularly within this changing landscape, is, um, is imperative. They've found ways to break through, I think in ways that the previous generation hasn't. Bo, you've got Naomi Osaka and Gen Z players on your cap table. Let's talk about the role of the modern day athlete in helping change or helping drive affinity in this growing Yeah, um, you know, last year we raised our Series A, so we're still a very early stage company. And we were very deliberate about bringing in 
um, player investors, right? More players are you know, leaning into tech investments. And so you know, my personal dream come true for a Korean immigrant who you know, grew up in Chicago is to have Michael Jordan you know, invest in you, right? Um, but you know, in terms of the Gen Z athletes, Naomi Osaka, Patrick Mahomes, Lamelo, you know, even D. Book, right? Um, you know, what we're seeing is that they're not only you know, individuals and players, incredible players, but they're also marketing channels and also mm -hmm. distribution platforms, right? And so I foresee a future where Lamelo sends out a notification saying, hey, I'm just going to playground with my brother Zoe, 99 cents to watch me play one-on-one uh, -on -one with him, right? And you know, the, for me, buzzer has always been just this personal experience of spending my time in the arcade. Right? You go to the arcade, you put 20 bucks in, you get tokens, and then you play pop a shot, ski ball, or, uh, or air hockey, and then what do you do? You accrue tickets, right? And so in my mind, I'm like, okay, that, maybe that could be an NFT, right? Where you can redeem that for fan experiences and other digital goods, right? And so for me, it's always been about how do we make this live experience fun, social, and have uh, the athletes that are just franchises on their own, you know, um, you know, as the distribution platforms. Imagine watching a Patrick Mahomes, uh, a Texas Tech, Texas game with Patrick Mahomes. You would never watch a Texas Tech game unless you went there. But you like Mahomes, right? right? So maybe you watch that for a little bit, right? And so I, 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 we're really leaning into players as distribution platforms because I do think that's where the future is. Omar, similarly, you see players routinely all up in the comments. Yeah. I think one thing I love about Ja TJ is after every game he's tweeting. Mm -hmm. Like after every good or bad, he is <laughs> tweeting. You know, and I think I think this is a generation that's grown up on social, mm -hmm. so they know how to lean into all of these things. Even Kevin Durant, when he was in Twitter Spaces, I was like, this is amazing. I was trying to record it. I don't even know if you're allowed to record Spaces, <laughs> but I, I think as long as they lean in. You know, the results are there. Anthony Edwards is someone who's a great Instagram follow. Yeah. His Instagram stories are hilarious. And it's, it's going to be super interesting now with, you know, in the next five years, it's going to be the generation that also grew up on TikTok mm -hmm. and to see the skits they do and all the ridiculous videos that people unearth of like, oh, you know, eight years ago, you know, this player made this video. We were going to just laugh at it. So um, I, I would say Ja is my favorite right now, though. And, and it's resulted in him being the third most popular player on social right now, mm -hmm. uh, just behind LeBron and Steph Curry. Oh. Tim. Man, Jaws is on fire to the point where three days ago, you know, I'm scrolling through Twitter and I'm like, man, I, I, so I live in Charlotte. I immediately went to the Hornets schedule to see if I could catch him live. Unfortunately, I, I missed by about a month. But I mean, the, the, that's the impact that I think we're all talking about, right? Like that, that one scroll through a million other things that I've got going on in my head at any given moment led to, you know what, I should go buy a ticket and, and, mm. and you know, watch this play out live. Um, I mean, I think our, our drivers have a little bit working against them because they're behind a helmet and a fire suit when, yeah. when, they're, uh, when they're in the car during a race. But I think, you know, the ones that have really been able to break through is, you know, Denny is posting his whoop data after the race mm -hmm. of like, you know, when I was getting ready to avoid this wreck and turn three at Daytona, here's where my heart rate went. Like, that's what people want to see. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's not, you know, well, we, uh, you know, dropped a cylinder and the, people don't care. I mean, they, they, not, the, not the fans that we're trying to reach right now. I mean, I, I think it's, they want to know who these people are and what they're thinking and what their reaction is and what they think about other drivers or what they think about what they're doing on Tuesday when they have to drop the kids off to, you know, to, to go to school. So I think, you know, we've, we've tried to encourage our driver, empowers our, empower our drivers and, and not 
gatekeep a lot of the content mm -hmm. from the race and open it up from them because, you know, as we, we've all kind of made the point, we can push things out through the league handle all day and mm -hmm. we'll continue to do that. But things going through the athletes directly is going to connect and land way harder. What, what does that look like for you all? Is it, um, are there quarterly sessions that you have with the drivers? Like how do you empower and encourage them to do that heavy lifting? Uh, honestly, it's daily. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, we're, we're airdropping content to them wow. daily. Um, you know, we, we've got accounts set up where, you know, the minute they get out of the car, they've got a folder of content waiting for them that they can do with what they want, and that happens throughout the week. Um, you know, I, and look, it's it's got to be authentic. Mm -hmm. it, it, you know, I think back to this whole notion of us having kind of a, a an honest relationship with our fans. I don't know if you guys have seen a driver or a race car. We're pretty authentic when it comes to sponsorship. You know, it's <laughs> like you, you, you kind of get it. Um, but I think that helps, right? It doesn't mean you have to plant a you know, a FedEx logo in the lower third, like mm -hmm. Denny's driving a car that's got FedEx all mm -hmm. over it. You're not gonna miss that branding. But if he can pull through that authenticity <laughs> and we can arm him with the tools to do that, then I think that's how we, we move this forward. So we've talked about what has been successful, what we see the changes being. What sucks? Like what stinks? What are the challenges? What are the things that keep you all up at night? We'll start with you, Tim. Whew. Um, <laughs> Man, it's a, it's a good question uh, because I think generally these panels are like, everything's great, right. everything's running <laughs> seamlessly. We're, like, we're hugging all, on stuff, Right, all good. Um, look, I mean, I, I think back all the way back to, to um, you know, the, the notion of people being distracted in, in a good way. I mean, it's, it's incumbent on all of us to break through that clutter. And, you know, I, I think Bo's point is phenomenal. Like we, as, as a rights holder, and I'm, I'm saying this conscious that I'm going into a media rights deal in, in the next two years, you know, we're going we're gonna to fight to have distribution and, and audience, but also maximize revenue. But mm -hmm. at the same time, we're going to put that content on four, five, six, eight different platforms and then expect fans to kind of cut through that clutter and, and mm -hmm. follow. So I think the toughest part is that balance, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're, you're still running a business, you still have to ma maximize profitability and give things back to, to employees and to partners. But you've got to make this easy to, to access from a fan perspective. And I think that's what's tough because those things are pulling against each other more yeah. often than not. Good, good answer. Yeah, I think part, part, for, partly for me at first was the pandemic, right? Just being in the access wasn't there. Mm -hmm. um, reporters still, still, still are not allowed in the locker room. So I think a big part of what I do is, you know, get, bring you behind the scenes. And I think that was taken away. But I think the other thing is there's highs and lows to all of this. Um, you know, the beginning of the NBA season is amazing. You, can, you can't post enough highlights. And when you get to January, it's like, all right, they, they're, they're waiting for the All-Star game. You know, it's, it's, it's one of those moments. And I think that part is tough because you're trying so hard. And I think this is like year seven for me, year eight for me now working in NBA season. And, you know, you're, every year you're like, oh, I think this is a good December. I bet you we're going to have like a great January. And then it's like, oh, no, this is a shitty January, you know? <laughs> um, so I think, I think the highs and lows of a season can, can be tough for every league. They all have highs and lows. And, um, you know, the good thing is it always goes back up. That's right. Yeah. I'll be very direct. Um, anything new is labeled as cannibalistic. That drives me nuts, you know, because... We, you know, my DNA being from Twitter is that we're simply a bridge to the next generation, right? And, you know, when you're looking at the addressable audience, right, we're looking at the core nevers, that's increasing. But let's also look at the $28 billion global piracy issue 
that we all face, right? Piracy is simply a reflection of the inflexible supply versus the consumer demand, right? We're doing a better job of keeping audience out than keeping content in, right? And so how do you make it more accessible and simple and more convenient? We can mediate piracy that way, right? And you know, what our team has incredibly done is build products that thoughtfully complement each of the partners out there, whether it be leagues, networks, distributors, RSNs, regional sports networks, uh, subscription video on demand services, even betting operators, right? And, and so, um, you know, for us, it's how do we complement and go after that incremental audience and incremental revenue? And that's why we've been very open about first party data sharing, right? Sharing with the NBA, who's a Steph Curry fan? Who's watching Steph Curry moments outside the Bay Area? That's an incredible data point, right? You sell more jerseys that way. You sell more tickets that way, right? And so um, I, I think we as an industry, if we can just kind of come together and solve this generational gap together, right? Because that's something that we can all agree that we need to address head on, right? And, um, you know, no putting a game on a kid's channel is going to solve that. Right? Like, how are we really leaning into that mobile-first audience where, you know, the generation after um, Gen Z, they're only going to know the phone, mm -hmm. right? Um, don't forget to get those tweets off because we're going to answer questions by way of Twitter, my favorite platform, very shortly. <laughs> um, <laughs> Omar, I've got a, a question for you. So you created this formula where behind the scenes and storytelling um, is paramount, but you've also You've also struck this balance of highlight Steph Curry behind the scenes, and I might see um, somebody playing Nerf basketball with their two-year-old, and right. they get dunked mm -hmm. on by their two-year-old, and right. it's an incredible moment always. I'm like, huh, this is from SportsCenter. Yeah. This is nice. Yeah. Um, how do you strike that balance, and how do you go about selling that through internally. Yeah, I, I think the biggest worry was like, oh man, we might alienate some fans. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. is this NFL fan gonna like this backyard dunk? Mm -hmm. They might not. And so it was actually pretty simple. I, I kind of just set a standard for the clips. So it's hard to, to know how good a clip is gonna do, but with the experience, you can kind of get an idea. So I know, let's just use a random uh, number. Let's say a LeBron James poster dunk is going to get 80,000 likes in 20 minutes on Instagram. Jeez. Well, I said, that this, this backyard dunk better get 100K mm -hmm. in 20. You know, that's how I have to sell this. And so, you know, with our DMs, we get, you know, 500 DMs a day. On Twitter, we get at SportsCenter, at ESPN mentions. We use every platform mm -hmm. to kind of surface that content. And then through, you know, through the the months, I kind of learned what the bar needs to be. Okay, he needs to go between his legs before he dunks on his dad, or the rim <laughs> needs to be 10 feet, can't be eight feet. You learn all these little small things. And so when I post those clips and I'm like, okay, this is, a, this is more likes than the LeBron dunk, no one can say anything to me. And I think that was the, the big change. But I also think now with, you know, each platform has reels or YouTube shorts, the numbers um, with UGC content on those platforms is, just insane, and, and they're also hitting different countries, you know, India, Vietnam, Brazil, all these mm -hmm. countries are, you know, watching the UGC content, but they might not watch, you know, the NFL content or the NBA content, so it's super interesting. How are you sourcing it? Do you actually source it by way of those DMs and those Yeah, phones? my phone's burning right now. I could grab it right now and just go through all the DMs <laughs> right now. Um, I, I, you literally spend 
three, four hours a day just going through all of that stuff, whether it's DMs, going through TikTok, Twitter is amazing because anyone can just go viral with 20 followers, they dunk on their kid and you know has 20,000 retweets. So I, every platform plays a big role in that. Mm. Big shout out to Omar. I think a lot of us see the highlights on these handles and think that they're really awesome, but this is like, this is very strategic. It's very yeah. meticulous. It's very surgical. So mm. yeah. shout out to you for, for, for giving us a look behind the curtain. Appreciate that. Uh, last question before we go to Twitter questions, Riley, I think. Um, how are you all thinking about international and global? Start with you, Tim. Uh, so we've got series internationally. We've got a series in Europe. We've got a series in Mexico. We've, uh, we, we've looked at um, you know, expanding the footprint. I, and, and honestly, like the, the model that we talk about all the time is the Yao Ming model, because what, what is going to make that land way more than any business transaction that we do or, or series that we start up is, I think, cultivating drivers internationally. And, and one of the, the ways that we've been able to do that, that I'd love to tell you was intentional, but, but is one of those things that more often than not just kind of happens is, you know, we have, have invested heavily in esports, and one of our esports components is iRacing, which is a, you know, a, a PC-based system that's, you know, available anywhere in the world. So a, as interesting as that has been as a fan engagement vehicle, it's, always, it's also been something that's opened the door from an entry point, you know, to drivers. So, you know, when, when we launched the Pro Invitational Series at the beginning of the pandemic, you know, a lot of the questions was, do you think that you're engaging the, the, the fan of 2029? I'm like, maybe, but I really want to get the driver of 2029. Mm -hmm. And I think that's going to start to move the needle, you know, far more effectively. So, you know, I think we are, we can't, we can't try to do too much too mm -hmm. soon because it's not authentic, right? We are a U.S. Americana through and through. Like, again, you guys have seen NASCAR. It is, it doesn't get more Americana than NASCAR, right? If we just start planting flags mm. in international territories trying to recreate that, it will fall apart. Mm -hmm. But if we can do it authentically, and then more importantly, if we can have the patience to see that through, then, then I think there's, there's, a, there's a huge opportunity there. And then certainly the distribution of, uh, of media um, through social platforms is, is, is gonna be a, a really effective way to you know, hit those territories. But again, it's gotta be done the right way. Mm -hmm. It's gotta be done authentically. So um, hopefully if we can, kind of keep one bridge towards the fan and, and one bridge towards participation in the sport, then, then they'll, they'll land in the right spots. Yeah, I, I think I touched on it a little bit with the UGC content where that content does amazing overseas. Mm -hmm. um, but also like, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of the NBA celebrity game because that is when the Bollywood stars are coming out, the rappers are coming out, these, these people that wouldn't normally watch these games are now checking out SportsCenter to see, oh, did my favorite actor or rapper or you know, actress have an amazing moment during this game? And I think that was something that when we looked at like our insights and we saw our follower growth, it would be up there with the Steph Curry game winner. Wow. And I was like, okay, this is definitely hitting a new audience. So, though, and, and I think also it helps for us, we have this NBA, UFC, boxing, these are super international sports. And I have personally like leaned in as much as possible because the growth when you post those highlights compared to other stuff um, is m much greater than any of the other sports. Mm. Well, yeah, one strategy, you know, right out of the gates is partner up with leagues, right? And, and so they are the licensors, which means that if you, you know, right now, currently our median age is 25 and over 80% of our audience is Gen Z and millennials. So as long as we can maintain that demographic, we become a, uh, a valuable, platform to grow with them internationally, right? And so 
That's why we were very deliberate about the four league partnerships that we did last year. Um, we're also focusing on international leagues you know, that are abroad, but also want traction here in the US, right? So Formula One is a big example. IPL is a great example. Um, European football leagues that simply don't have the right time zone, right? So how do we then optimize that via mobile because you're probably at school in class, right? You know, and so how do I get you to watch the last 15 minutes of your favorite team in the Champions League, right, fixture? So um, we're also thinking about betting, right? And so uh, as I walked in, you know, special shout out to uh, Amy Howe, the CEO of FanDuel. You know, they were our first betting operator and partner. And, and so, you know, the way that we always say at Buzzer is every buzzer moment becomes a bettable moment. But for her, every bettable moment can be a buzzer moment, mm -hmm. right? And so in the next three months, we're going to start ingesting bet slips and then alert you when your bet slips matter, right? So you put $20 on a three and a half point spread between the Celtics and the Grizz. We'll only alert you when it's a four point game. They got blown out yesterday. So uh, <laughs> that, that, that wouldn't happen, but you, know, you, you get the point, right? And so that carries over to UK and Australia in very bet heavy markets. You know? And since this is an analytics you know, conference, in you know, UK and Australia, in-game betting dwarfs pre-game betting, I think by seven to three. Wow. Oh, wow. Right. Here it's inverse, which means that it's very nascent stages of betting, right? And so creating more platforms that allow in-game is going to be very valuable, right? For engagement, specifically live engagement. So there are certain things that we're looking at, you know, betting is one, but also how do we help other leagues grow, whether it's in the US or ex-US, like the NFL is doing. They're doing amazing things with uh, the recent announcement with, I think, Bayern Munich, where, you know, they're playing a few football games in Berlin and Munich, right? Berlin and Munich, and so um, how do we kind of help you know, them grow internationally as well? L last question before <coughs> we go to our Twitter questions. Shout out to y'all tweeting, by the way. These, mm. these questions are coming in, they're good. Um, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about the role of authentically tapping into culture, and particularly audiences that drive outside culture, black and brown audiences, mm -hmm. and a lot of that is reflected in the voice that you use from your social channels or from some of your posts. Bo, I know one of the first hires you made was a black woman named Jasmine Watkins to run all things brand voice for, for Buzzer. So let's talk about the importance of tapping in to the community organically and the culture, specifically black and brown folks. Yeah, I mean, that's a very important topic uh, for me personally um, because before you take from the culture, you gotta give back to the culture. You gotta invest in the culture, right? Um, I talked about this company being built in the last two years during a pandemic. It wasn't easy, right? We all lived through it, right? Um, but another thing that happened in this country is a racial reckoning in this country, right? George Floyd happened, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, and the list goes on. And one of the things that we have to realize as just leaders is that are you going to respond to the environment that you were born in and build in an intentional and thoughtful way? Or are you going to say, let's stick to sports? Because further down the line, you're going to run into issues if you, if you go down the ladder. You're going to undo what you just did, right? And I, I think that we had a tremendous blessing of an opportunity where we can try to do things the right way in a thoughtful way the first time around. Yes, it took a little bit longer, but I truly do feel that because of that, we've been able to be a mission values-led organization we have a foundation called Strive, which is the bedrock and the foundation of everything that we do. Went back to our investors and said, hey, we're gonna restructure the cap table. 
1% of our, you know, uh, cap table, 1% of our net profits, 1% of customer participation. Like that, those type of changes don't happen after you go public, right? Because you, you can't make those sweeping changes, right? And so I, I think that for those that are aspiring to start companies, right, really read the time and the environment that you're starting this company from. You know, how are you making people's lives better? We're all working from home, most of us are. So you're impacting people's home lives too, the work life is. And so I would just implore a lot of the you know, new startup founders to just be very thoughtful about what you invest in culture. And the investment that you put in now is going to pay dividends. And Jasmine is just one shining example of that, um, where you know, I, just can't, I just can't believe that other corporations didn't see the talent that she had. You know? And just to see someone just blossom and grow and just be confident in her voice and people just receive her in the community, it's been amazing to see. You know, and that's the best part about this job, to be honest, is just seeing people grow. Omar, even at House of Highlights and ESPN, I've had the opportunity to work with you all. The face of the team has changed considerably, which I'll yeah. talk about yeah. that. Uh, first off, Bo, that was amazing. Um, and, and TJ, I, I do want to give you a shout out as well. You were on the Kevin Durant podcast, mm -hmm. and you right. spoke about this a little bit too, and that was great. Um, I, I think it's important, like when you look at the ESPN team, it's 50, 60 so people on the social team, it's very diverse. Mm -hmm. But the most important thing is they're empowered. Mm. They're empowered to try things. They're empowered to speak their voice. And they're empowered to speak authentically to themselves. Mm. And I think that's one of the issues that maybe happened you know, years past is maybe there's diversity in some corporations, but those folks aren't empowered. Mm. There's no point. Like you, if you're not empowering them, then you're, you're holding them back. Mm. And I think that's the biggest thing kind of going forward is let them take risks. Let them be innovative. Let them be themselves. Tim, you're the NASCAR community particularly you all corporate, the drivers rallied around Bubba in a way that I think was so special. Um, and even watching like the things you tweeted and the, the, the tone that you all took, it was very intentional, it was very authentic. Um, why and how were you all able to do that so effectively? Yeah, I, I, um, I feel really strongly on this topic and, and specifically from, from my perspective, selfishly, like, you know, you, you get to a leadership position and, and you think, well, well, I should have all this figured out. I, I can't go asking questions. And this was a topic that, you know, for, for me very specifically, I had to start asking questions mm. because I understand the importance of representation, but I understand mm. that my experience is very different. So me going to, I mean, the, the last at least half dozen, uh, you know, social media contributors that we've hired have happened because I DM'd them on Twitter and I was like, I just need to have a conversation and I need to understand how you're viewing the sport and then what kind of a platform and a podium we can provide to tell those stories because I don't have that experience and, and I know that it's important, but I can't be selfish enough to think that I've got it figured out and I know it's got to work mm -hmm. this way. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, literally out of the blue, like, hey, you know, can we, can we catch up and, and I need to hear what your ideas are. How would you present the sport? What are we not doing right? Um, you know, wrapping around uh, an arm around Bubba is easy. I mean, he's, he's our brother, he's our friend, like that's, that was easy, right? And, and I think what, what is the challenge is, how do you do that outside of the mm. sport? Again, how are you connecting with the people that, that are authentically curious about the sport? And how do we put them on platforms that you know, they're now telling their version of the story as opposed to, again, us telling our version of the story. So I, I think it is, it's, it, you have to be very intentional about it and, and be willing to say like, mm -hmm. I, I, don't, I don't know how this should go, 
uh, you know, we need to have some conversations and figure out how to, how to do this a different way. The beauty is, and it's very clear with you all, that intentionality has actually led to the betterment of the business, mm -hmm. right? Like you're starting to see higher percentages across the 18 and 23. You're starting to see the face of the fan base completely change. I'm seeing black people tweet about NASCAR mm -hmm. and selfies and having the time of their lives. I didn't see that five years ago. 100%. I mean, we, we talked about this a little bit, right? I mean, you've got people like Brandon Marshall and I am athlete reaching out to us proactively. Like, let's let's figure out how to put something together. And, and that that happens because you, you, you kind of open your arms and your eyes to those ideas. But, but you're right, it, it has had a positive impact on the business, but I think that happened not because that was the goal, mm -hmm. but because we did it That's the good. right way and that was, was kind of a, almost a fringe benefit of, of how we operated. That's good, all right, let's take it to the timeline, y'all. Um, I don't have your ad handle, so apologies for not giving you a shout out, getting you verified and driving follower. <laughs> um, okay, these are good. <laughs> this one is from a former Twitter great uh, and SSAC panelist Christine Wick said, can you talk about the influence women's sports has had or will have on Gen Z moving forward? Incredible question from an incredible human being. Start with you, Tim. Yeah, I, I think, again, I, not to be repetitive on the driver's side, but we've got to be authentic. And, and I think we've got, uh, we've got young female drivers, including Haley Deegan, that, that are getting in the sport and, and they're getting recognition and they're getting funding. And, you know, as this panel will appreciate, that is the, the, the generation that is nascent to social media. So as they're looking at funding, it's, it's not just how fast can they drive a car, it's what are they bringing to the table from, a, from an engagement standpoint. And then we've had our partners lean into it. So, you know, AB has put millions of dollars in funding into creating opportunities for female drivers to move them up through the ranks in the sport. So um, it, it's, it's, a, it's a huge opportunity and something that I think our partners recognize as well. I think one exciting stat that I have for, for you all is that I think when we talk about UGC, I think we have 20 uh, women's-led UGC posts, whether it's someone dunking oh. in the backyard or LA Fitness, that has over 1 million likes, like, on Instagram That's alone. Crazy. And I think, and, and, and the views, when, when you get, like, a million likes, that means you probably got, like, 10 million views. So the, the interest is there. And I think, I think one thing that's also great about the WNBA and all these leagues are now growing is that their athletes lean into social better than anybody. And they're great personalities. Um, and I think that's one thing that's super exciting. Outside of the highlights, they're doing really, really well. They're, do they're becoming personalities mm -hmm. and they're le really leaning into the social uh, platforms. I think one of the areas that, I mean, in addition to John, Steph, right, Alex Morgan, Megan Rapino, you know, these are household names, right? But why is US Women's National Team once every four years. Why is that an occurrence, right? If you were to ask you know, what team Alex Morgan plays, not a lot of folks are able to uh, you know, identify with that, right? And so how do you kind of lead with Alex Morgan then to drive distribution, right? Also, let's be real here is that women's sports right now, games are playing during the day. They don't really have a good day part. Let's just be very real here, right? Which means that the numbers are not gonna be good. Which means if the numbers aren't good, the advertiser demand's not good. If that demand's not good, then it's not gonna be on prime time, mm -hmm. right? And so one is let's discuss how to get them on prime time. But second is what are we doing in the meantime to drive distribution, right? How are we creating a mobile first solution? Because the fact of the matter is during the day we're out at about, right? And so how are we getting you to tune in, right? Um, secondly, and this is a little bit more technical, but 
we also need, as companies, have to do our part in, in terms of leveling an uneven playing field, right? And one example is the last round we had, for every female athlete, we matched every single investment one-to-one. -one. And they would ask, why would you do that? And I'm like, because, I was like, this is not charity, this is not a handout. You know, this is self-correcting the pay disparity that exists right now. And if I were to give you the same investment terms as a male athlete that has another zero on their salary right now, all I'm doing is perpetuating the injustice that's happening here, right? And so I think as leagues, networks, companies need to kind of really think about how are we leveling the playing field using our platforms, right? And, and sometimes you have to do something that's a little bit drastic, like a match. Um, incredible answers, gentlemen. We've talked a lot about mobile and remote fans on social, but how can leagues and properties use social to make the in-stadium experience more engaging? Great question. Um, we'll start with you, Bo. The in-game experience needs to be also be connected to the off-game experience, right? The digital experience. So I, I talked about, you know, you know, a lot of folks are talking about like the ticket stub. I, I grew up uh, collecting ticket stubs as a kid. So if you go to my parents' house, I have shoe boxes full of like these like old ticket stubs. Why? Um, I, I'm, I'm sure they're worth a lot of money now, right? But why did I collect them? Because I wanted to remember I was there, right? And you know, you, you hear a lot of uh, folks bemoan that the physical tickets have now become digital now, right? So there is not there is not that physical memento, right? So kind of leading into where the transition is happening, how do we create digital ticket stubs, you know, perhaps an NFT that's you know, blockchain based, where you, you either watch a NASCAR race, or you, you've, you went to the uh, Celtics Grizz game last night, or watch that moment, hopefully on buzzer, right? How can we connect that experience and create a more unified experience from that, right? And, and you know, it, sometimes it's never about the, the actual game, it's all about the payoff, mm -hmm. right? Like, I, I, was, I, mean, I think I was talking to you yesterday at the game. I'm like, man, people go nuts for the t-shirt gun. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, they, like, like it's, it's almost like people have never seen a free t-shirt, <laughs> right? People just get up and go nuts. But it's not the point, right? It's about the experience, right? So I'm like thinking, I'm like, how do we create, recreate that on mm -hmm. buzzer, but also on digital where we yeah. get the next generation? Like, what is the digital version of the t-shirt gun? We should have a t-shirt gun. Yeah, here. we should have yeah. one. Actually, <laughs> come on in. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, oh, TJ, throw your shoes. <laughs> Omar, how would you answer that? My answer is kind of cheating. I, I'm going to say the Oculus. I bought one in December. Mm. It's owned by Facebook, so that's the social connection. Never there. heard of them. Um, but I used, I used the NBA VR uh, app this Tuesday. It was amazing. Wow. Like, I was like, oh, this is better than actually like me going to Madison Square Garden. Wow. And I think one thing that was also really cool about that is I could send the link to my friends and they could be sitting right next to me. Wow. And that was the moment where I think, for me, I think video games was a, one of the reasons in 07, 08, when I was growing up in high school, where I stopped watching sports as much. And now we're kind of at this full circle moment where video games are gonna be the reason why, hey, I'm gonna call my buddies from college, just sit and watch this you know, Grizzlies versus Celtics game. And I think that part to me makes it very exciting of like, where does this go? Because I think one of the issues um, when you're watching a game is oftentimes you're watching by yourself. Mm -hmm. And how are we gonna bring people together to mm -hmm. watch a, a game or a moment or whatever that looks like? Yeah, that's the first time we brought up the metaverse actually. Yeah. Tim. Yeah, I, I um, Omar is one of the smartest people I've ever met, so I'll just <laughs> steal his answer. I mean, I, I think he's right. Uh, it's, it's, 
you know, I think what's going to be interesting is is how this evolves from a from a utility standpoint because I think what's you know the the challenge around virtual reality, the metaverse right now, is the hardware associated with mm -hmm. it. And, yep. and if we couldn't get headwear to 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 kind of crack through when everyone was locked inside for a year and a half, then I don't know where that that goes. The experience, 100%. I think the way it's presented is is what's going to be challenging. Cool. Um, I won't have enough time for these questions. Okay. We're at um, an analytics conference, um, and there are a lot of people who are here who want to learn. So within a tweet-length response, um, how would you all, you see how I always, mm -hmm. that's what it is. it's intentional. Um, how would, what would you all leave the audience with as they think about um, engaging the Gen Z audience? We'll start with you. Uh, honestly, I mean, it's it's owning the fan data, and and as as silly as that may sound, I mean, I think what has happened over over the last decade or so is, you know, brands certainly leagues or, or rights holders have been content to let let that fan relationship happen on third party platforms, and and that was the right thing to do at the time, right? Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. I think now you you've, you've got to own that one to one relationship with your fans because not just from a you know a propriety standpoint, but just because you have to know what that behavior is and how you can give it to them right place, right time, right channel. So I think that that kind of direct tie to this first party data is is top of the list. Yeah, hashtag experiment. I think we do. We're so used to being comfortable and doing the things that we do we mm -hmm. normally do every single day, whether it's on social, on TV, you know, wherever. And I think. You need to keep experimenting, learn from those experiments, um, and, and kind of have that mentality forever. Mm -hmm. It doesn't really change with, with how fast things are changing now. So you, you have to experiment as much as possible. Mm -hmm. I'm going to borrow um, the phrase from Simon Sinek's TED Talk, um, start with why. Um, Gen Z are incredibly value-led, mission-based consumers, more than our pre the previous generations, right? And so knowing what your why is, why you exist, right? What is your mission? Um, I think it's incredibly important because if consumers, the next generation consumers, specifically Gen Z, believe in your why, then they'll consume anything you put in front of them because they bought into your mission and why you exist and your values. Hell, they'll even work with you, right? Um, I think that a lot of folks kind of, you know, we've kind of been in this special spot where folks come to us and say, hey, Buzzer's my dream job. I'm like, you need better dreams. But, no, <laughs> secondly, but you know, just to really kind of uh, you know, double down on that is, if you really identify with someone's heart and their values and why they exist, people want to work with you, right? Even partners, right? Networks and even leagues and distributors is that we, we all gravitate towards good, right? And, and so I think um, all of us should really figure out what our why is. Okay, um, this has been an incredible conversation. I would ask you all for a favor, a few favors. One, follow NASCAR on all, all social channels, please. Follow ESPN and SportsCenter on all social channels. Download Buzzer if you haven't done it. What have you really been doing? Uh, and then follow these wonderful gentlemen on social media. And then lastly, let's give them a round of applause. Thank you, cool. Thank you guys. This recording is the property of 42 Analytics and may not be published, broadcast, rewritten, or redistributed without the express written consent of 42 Analytics.
Any opinions expressed by panelists are their own and do not represent the beliefs of the conference, 42 Analytics, or the MIT Sloan School of Management. 42 Analytics Educational, Inc. reserves all rights in the content.